Hello, and welcome to the Participation and Performance Podcast with me, Dr. Dan Brown. In today's episode, I'm joined by elite dual career performer, Zoe Sainer. By day, Dr. Zoe is a senior lecturer in physical activity, exercise and health at the University of Portsmouth. And by night and on weekends, Zoe is a key member of Harlequin's Ladies, Tyrrell's Premier 15's playing squad. I'm sure as we go through the interview, Zoe will correct me on this notional separation of her time. But before we get to that, Zoe, perhaps you could tell me a little bit about your career so far. So where to start? Thanks for the invite, Dan. So I agree. As the interview goes on, we'll probably talk about my few different personalities. Uh, I think I wear a few different capes. So if we start on the daytime one. So as you said, I'm a senior lecturer. So a lot of my research focuses on clinical exercise science. So essentially how we apply our sports science toolkit to people with chronic health conditions. Obviously involves academic duties of teaching. Come pre 9am and after 6pm, I put on my athlete coat. And as you said, I'm currently a member of Harlequin's Ladies. So I haven't actually played rugby for that long. So I started back in about 2010 properly. So I fell into it by accident. So if any of your listeners um, look me up, you'll know I'm called Giant uh, for obvious reasons. I'm, I'm pretty tall. So standing at six, six feet tall, um, when I was doing my master's degree, one of my friends said, maybe you should give rugby a go. Um, I was pretty awful. They said, pass the ball backwards and run forwards. And that was about the extent of my training. But I then transitioned to Exeter to start my PhD. Um, again, I was just I was, I was pretty interested in clinical exercise physiology, and they had quite a good athlete setup. So I started rugby, and 12 months in, pretty much, I found myself on a plane to America playing <laughs> playing for England, um, which, which was quite a surprise and never part of my plan. Um, and yeah, since then, I've I've kind of balanced the two. So my my career's progressed academically down the route that, that I was most interested in. And, and my rugby's just accidentally followed <laughs> along. So, yeah, so so I've, I've been playing since about 2010, I'd say, properly. Um, played in the premiership for Bristol, Exeter University, um, then transitioned to play for Richmond. Uh, won my first premiership title. Um, then we won one for Harlequins, lost the last couple. It's a bit of a sore point at the moment, as that was only last weekend. Um, but yeah, that's how, how I feel most of my time. So it sounds like it's been quite an eventful journey for you. When you first uh, broke into the sort of elite rugby squads that you were playing in and when you were playing for England on those first occasions, was your story quite similar to the other players in the squad or had other players been playing a lot longer? How common or unfamiliar was that? Um, I would say I'm, I'm pretty much an anomaly. <laughs> uh, more so now. So we'd probably go on to talk a bit about the professionalism and the, the change in the game. But of, of most of the girls that I was playing with, lots have been playing since the age of four or five. Um, few had taken it up at university. You know, hardly any had taken it up like me. So, you know, I'd already done four years and wanted to <laughs> wanted to stay on as a student for, for a few more years. So... I would I would say I'm quite I'm quite an anomaly. Now I mean we we play games at the stoop, um, and we have so many girls, which is pretty phenomenal, who are four, five, six years of age, and they're already playing, or <laughs> you know they've been playing for a few years. So I would say I was definitely an, an anomaly, and there's not many of us at the moment <laughs> that have only played. <laughs> okay, and given your um, 
current role working both here at the university but also uh, playing playing for Harlequins. Are there any other, many other players in the squad who are similar to you in balancing these dual careers? There's a few. I'd, I'd say proportionally at the moment, maybe if we take away all the students and we take away the guards and our professional full-time in England contracts, um, we also we're super lucky. I mean, we have guards that fly from America. We've had a few. We've had a few Italians. We we have lots of international guards come over. So, so they're not often in in strict careers. Um, I'd say maybe about 20% of our squad have jobs um, or, or full-time careers that are pretty, you know, mentally demanding during the day. So yeah, times are changing. I mean, I, I view that in, in only a few years time, premiership, women will be playing professionally in the, in the premiership. So I'm a, a lone wolf still hanging on in there, I think. <laughs> so I guess this balance that you have of doing uh, your job as well as as well as playing for Harlequins, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face um, balancing both responsibilities? Time, <laughs> which is probably I think if you spoke to any athlete, and and I you know I think lots of people still train at a high level and maybe don't compete, and and they're not often considered, and probably should be considered because you know a lot of the, the time dedicated is the same. I probably every week someone will say to me how do you do that how do you fit all those things into a week and and definitely it's time um and I and I also think mental fatigue um the physical the physical you know fatigue you can you can train around that and you get used to that to a certain extent and and sleep you know you, you need sleep but you, you can also kind of acclimatize to that but I would say definitely especially in our field, you know, you're thinking, you're encouraged to think and you spend your day encouraging students to think. And that, that's why we like it. Um, but think is quite tiring. So so a normal kind of training day for us is, you know, you'll, you'll be in work all day and then you'll go and transition. You'll do a bit of S&C when we arrive, kind of six, six till seven. And then you're in for analysis and you, you would have done analysis over the last 40 hours of your opposition. And then you've got to kind of flick. And I, I'd say for me, Probably one of the biggest challenges is, is that fatigue of wearing lots of different personalities as well. So I have different names, you know, in the day. I'm Dr. Zoe Sador. With my friends, I'm Zoe. And at rugby, I'm giant. And uh, and, and how you behave and how you speak, how you think and, and, and what people appreciate, you know, I think are really different. So especially for me in the last three years, um, you know, lots of the girls I train with, they know a little bit about what I do, but but some of like, you know, they have no idea. They they just know me as the big second row that, that hits things really hard. So I, I'd say definitely the, the mental, you know, quite quite mentally fatiguing days. <laughs> That's really interesting because when we often talk about student athletes, we talk about how having uh, the different personas, I guess, that you use there are quite beneficial because it allows them to disengage with one and re-engage with something else and it allows them to park one thing or another. But what you've described there is actually it's more taxing than that. Which Are there any benefits to trying to balance both roles in at, at the level that you're at? I think there's definitely pros and cons in terms of certain times a year maybe you know so so now it's quite easy when we're not teaching I find it quite easy to transition it's really great sometimes to know that I could get to training and my friends are there you know so 
I've got girls that I've played with, you know, for, for nearly six years now, and we see each other a lot. So that kind of social network that I know is there. I don't have to think. My my coach always, our coach is absolutely fantastic. She's um, superintendent in the Met Police. She's pretty pretty phenomenally, you know, she's she's achieved a hell of a lot in her life. And she always laughs because people always think I'm, I'm a bit silly because I I just can't think and I'm probably you know the the least switched on at training. But I'd say sometimes I use that for my to my advantage. You know, I know that I can just say silly things and and be quite quiet in the evening. Whereas in the day, you know, we have to you have to turn up when you, you know you've got 200 students in front of you or you're trying to engage people. Um, so I definitely say there's pros and cons. I think times are changing in that. There are less people who, definitely in my sport, who are dual career. Um, and I'd say that's why, I, for me, the transition has maybe got a little bit more difficult when that's happened. But there's definitely fantastic times that I can switch off and go and be the 15-year-old me <laughs> and behave a little bit silly at training. is is pretty great in the evening. So I guess overcoming these challenges and overcoming the time commitments is... I guess the biggest hurdle hurdle that you face and you've you've mentioned and described there this sort of how you can be silly and change your personality in the evening are there any other guess sort of personal characteristics that you think I have that you have that you think are really useful for you in balancing the commitments that you have yeah I think um maybe not so personalities I think there are traits and so you have to be pretty organized you've got to you've got to prep your time and I, and I always say if I have PhD students or students I work with that are athletes you know, as tired as you as tired as you are, it's absolutely phenomenal the skill set you get because you learn. You have to balance your time. You get up earlier and you, you have to get things done. Um, you know, if you've got you've got limited time, you get the tasks done before they're due in and things like that. Which I definitely look back and I'm grateful for that. It definitely helps me when I'm juggling, marking, teaching, research, and, and everything like that. I think personality wise, I think you have kind of an inner inner confidence. The funny thing, you know, when, when I'm I'm standing up lecturing, you have to be quite confident and quite loud and, and out there. Training, often, often I'm quite quiet. Sometimes if I'm not that tired, you know, I'll, I'll be a little bit more loud. But I'm actually probably one of the, one of the quieter girls at training. Um, so, but I think I have a, a definitely an inner confidence, you know, belief in my abilities and that if you work hard. And I, I definitely think the work ethic is something that got me through. I mean, I, I never ever planned on doing a PhD <laughs> and, I, and I still now if anybody asks me god you must you know they always say you must be so intelligent you've done a PhD absolutely not I think it's I was interested in a topic I worked hard I achieved that I came to rugby late I worked hard I achieved some things and, and I definitely stand by that and I, and I always tell that to students that I'm working with who are you know finding it a bit hard to challenge their studies and being torn in different directions by maybe coaches and work that's doing etc and so it's, it's all worth it in the long run and you've got to enjoy it and yeah definitely but but for me personally I definitely think I I have slightly different personalities <laughs> at work versus me on the on the pitch definitely you mentioned time management um is this something that you've always had going back to when you're at school or have you kind of learn time management because you've had to as a result of the additional commitments that you've gained I would say I probably had it but didn't know so from the age you know when I was 11 my career I was always going to join the army I was always going to be a physiotherapist in the army that was my career route 
So I was in the army cadets from that age, pretty much up until university. Um, and the careers officer said, go and enjoy university and see what you want to do. So that's why I said I, I definitely fell into to sports science by accident. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of, I really always enjoyed sport. For me, I, I don't remember, I remember back in primary school doing cross country and, you know, playing with all the boys, every sporting activity. I was in, you know, the boys cricket and football teams. So, you know, I've got my parents to thank there in terms of they, they supported all of that. So I think by accident, you learn, you know, if you've got sport, you've got to maybe get your homework done. And, and I still do that now, age 31. <laughs> if I've got training, I've got to get my, my schoolwork done for, for uni the next day. So, yeah, I definitely think I've always had it. And I, and I stand by the fact you you learn it from sport, you learn it from training and and you're facilitated by your coaches, your psychologists, your S&Cs. It's, it's pretty helpful now um, that the game's more professional to just be sent my weekly schedule <laughs> of things that I have to do so things like that make it a lot easier but yeah I'd say I've probably had it since about primary school so it's been quite helpful. Cool and there you've also mentioned the role of your parents you've mentioned your coaches and your S&C coaches uh, amongst others um, how have they or could you tell us a little bit more I guess about how they've facilitated your dual career as it currently is and how they enable you to continue to perform and, and the way that you do yeah I mean my my parents my mum hates rugby so <laughs> if my mum had her way I wouldn't play so you know they're just there and supportive and they they come and watch what when they can um my coach I mean my my head coach I absolutely have to thank for the fact I'm still playing so, you know early this year was when I kind of said I reached breaking point and said I can't do this it's, it's too difficult and I wanted to play but you know, I was very tired and, and being torn in lots of different directions. And, and I think that came with the transition point of professionalism and, and everything is often catered for those who aren't working. Um, but, you know, my coach is absolutely phenomenal. I, I remember sitting down with her and with our psychologist and just talking it through. And yeah, they, they put a plan in place that enables me to train when I want to train or, you know, get the sessions done, do them at, do them at a time that suits. Um, and that's the role of our, our psychologist. I mean, we, we used to joke a little bit when she joined the team of, oh, come on, could you help me with my confidence, et cetera. And, and some of the girls definitely don't need that. But I would say pretty much all sessions that people have sat down with our psychologist have been time, you know, you know struggling with fitting everything in or pressures and, and not have maybe not been the traditional sports like skills that you'd expect maybe that person to be working you with so for me that was quite surprising I, I you know you think this person's going to come in and they're going to make us all perform better but actually she helps me to admin my life a little bit and, and make things a bit easier so I would definitely say our head coach and the psychologist are the main reason that I've played this season and considering next season as another year <laughs> So I guess it's it's those social agents allowing you that flexibility to continue both roles and to uh, train, as you said, when when you want to and when you can fit it in, rather than having to fit this rigid structure. A hundred percent, and and I think I, me personally, I felt like a, a absolute weight was lifted off my mind when I just sat down, you know, had a little cry with our psychologist. That's that's her job to let us cry on her. Um, you know, to just talk that through and and to work things out around my life and what I want to achieve and to facilitate the goals of the team and the, and the goals, you know, for, for me to enjoy my playing career. Um, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be playing 
still if I if I didn't have those guys in the in the sport team to help us out. Okay, so to move the interview forward, I guess a little bit a little bit now. Um, injury obviously plays a massive role within any sports performer's career, and I know that you've had injuries over the last couple of years, which have been challenging for you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the challenges that you have experienced whilst being out injured? Yeah, I mean, in, injury is an interesting one. I mean, you speak to lots of people who've been injured, but I, I truly believe when someone's had a catastrophic injury that, you know, you're out for nine months to 12 months, it, it, it is so, something like nothing, nothing else, you know, in terms of the kind of the, the demons that you face a little bit psychologically. But me personally, I, I've absolutely hated and loved being injured. So f- for a little bit of background, um, so I, ca- I came late obviously to the England setup, and I was in the elite playing squad, the EPS. Um, I've never played for England in the UK <laughs> because I, I had a, two years of being absolutely cursed. So I, I, when I made my first Six Nations squad, um, I was due to play against Scotland. And then the week before, um, somebody took me out off the ball and I said goodbye to my MCL and I had a nine month kind of rehab recovery, really, really slow because I, I didn't have surgery for that. So it was pretty restrictive for a long period of time I made it back for the next year and pretty much the same week I dislocated my shoulder <laughs> needed surgery on that and in in one respect I've been through it before you know as, as hard as it is to deal with those situations um, you have to just let it go and, and you haven't done anything it's, it's part of the game these, these things have happened now deal with it and me personally, I mean, I'd say my academic career has thrived <laughs> when I've been injured, um, but my, more my social life. I mean, you realise you, when when you're playing, the, the biggest probably challenge for me at the moment in, in deciding when to retire is you have to be pretty selfish as an athlete. You know, you, you, you have to sacrifice lots of social occasions, time with family, friends, partners, etc. And the absolutely fantastic thing about injured is you can... Spend a little time eating what you want. <laughs> you can do other training that's fun, just for fun, and you can spend lots of time doing other things that you can't do the rest of the time. So I look back and I, I could be really sad about the fact that I missed those Six Nations. And, and for me, you know, at my age and where I'm at, it's, it's unlikely to happen again. Um, but actually, I, I was really grateful that I had my job because I, I've seen the kind of positions people have been in when rugby is everything and and I laugh about my different identities but I'm super grateful that I have one to fall back on um you know or two just day-to-day me as well so that I can fall back on that when I'm injured and out for nine months and still feel that I'm achieving and being successful I'm really grateful for that Whilst you were out injured, were you in and around the playing squad? How did you say I guess in touch with the other players within the squad? Yeah, so we have a really, I mean, we have an amazing setup at Harlequins. So for a bit of background, if people want to look into that, I mean, we've only existed for three seasons. The first year we were called something else, so we were Ellsford Ladies. And for the past two years, you know, we've really been leading the way. So our structure, we're, we're embedded in with the men and we're with the academy men. So my shoulder injury, for example, I had my surgery two weeks later when I kind of could get in the car and move around a little bit I was back in in the rehab setup so we have this thing called rehab club I, w- I was one of the founding members of the Queen's ladies I was in it for quite a while and, and a few times since so we have rehab club and you go in and you do your strength and conditioning you can go in the same time as the girls you're around the girls 
you can go and watch training and you know we, we have lots of girls who arrive earlier to maybe do a little bit of work or if they're at university and and you just go and see them I, I personally I, I like to have a little bit of time on my own a bit of time out um but I also like to go and be around them so we have a really brilliant culture I mean we had one of our girls who the day after our final um premiership final she she went and had a shoulder operated on and she was back in the gym you know this week she's in there with the girls doing strength and conditioning we're already back and in the mix and I think it gets rid of a lot of the isolation and you just get excited about training it doesn't matter that you're you're trying to make your arm work a little bit again or you know you're trying to get slight flexion of your knee it's it's just the fact that you can get back in the mix and I think it definitely helps we, when we had our final you know the other day we had one of our American players and one of our England internationals that in the semi-final and then one was the Tuesday before our final on the weekend had catastrophic injuries and they both had to have surgery but it was still a kind of whole club message that they came to the final they were involved they commiserated together and and that's a whole part of kind of our ethos to help people through that situation so one of the biggest changes in women's rugby uh, over the past few months really has been the introduction of professionalism into the women's game. Is that something that you had considered? Uh, were you offered? Were you placed in that position where you could could form a, uh, take a professional contract? How's that kind of played out with you? Yeah, so I mean, I, I wasn't offered a contract. I, I, like I said, I mean, I had a couple of years out of the mix uh, from a from an international perspective. Um, I actually think though I, th- I thrived at premiership level when that, that kind of stress was taken away um, and I've definitely enjoyed rugby you know I, I play alongside um, you know we've got several girls who are full-time internationals now at our club um, and, and they absolutely love it and I know some of the girls that have moved away from their careers so we talk about one of our girls Shauna Brown um, you know she qualified as a firefighter and she's you know taking a career break from that to play professionally um, me personally I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I I think it, potentially I'd be different if it was, you know, six, seven years prior. Um, during my PhD, I probably would have snapped someone's hand off to, to go and do that for a few years. Right now, um, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> on, the, on the flips, you know, where I like to go and escape at training, I like to escape from rugby <laughs> and, and do work and do research and, and all of that stuff. I, I think I would... I would go a little bit mad if I was just focused on rugby all the time. It's really interesting how uh, through this conversation you've been describing, I guess, the balance that both roles offer you. And when I mentioned there about professionalism, one of the other athletes that you play with, you you mentioned that she sort of has taken a career break in order to fulfill that uh, professional rugby contract. I guess it's really interesting just to reflect on how that dual career role in some situations facilitates some performers, but in others, uh, perhaps a better balance can be found. Yeah, I, I think it absolutely just depends on what you do. You know, there are some... I, I, I have the pleasure of playing with some girls who are absolutely phenomenal people, you know, and, and there are some girls who are building their own businesses alongside playing, building their own legacy, learning new skills. Some some of the guys that we have at Harlequins who are doing degrees and, and building, you know, business empires. And, and I think there are ways and means of going about it. I think, you know, something like like an academic life, we're, we're pretty driven people and we're really interested. So it's hard to put things down. So... 
you know, I, I don't think I could see myself doing a nine to five ever. So I just think it's, you know, it's a slightly different discipline. I, I believe with the correct infrastructure and support, you can absolutely have a dual career. And, and we have girls at Quinn's who, as a, an amazing setup, they're upskilling people ready for retirement. And, and that previously didn't exist in the women's game. You know, you could be an absolute world-class performer, retire, and then you sit there questioning who you are and what you do next. So I have friends now who are, who are going on, you know, DHL days and they're going on big corporate days and they're learning new business skills and they're absolutely excelling. And when they retire, I've no doubt that they're going to be really successful. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, I just do that constantly, I think. And I've got something ready-made to fall back on when I hang my boots up. So, yeah. So that leads me nicely onto my next question, which is around retirement, because retirement is obviously this huge transition that all athletes face at some stage during their career. What role do you think your academic career will have in facilitating or supporting your retirement from elite level rugby? Uh, you know, I think it's absolutely vital. I think I I would be a lot more anxious about you know what's next if I didn't already have lots of things in place and for me personally I think my life will get a lot easier you know I'll, I'll still do sport and I'll still train and and for me retirement is is either imminent or it's in a, in a year's time so I've been retiring for the last three years <laughs> and I keep going back and and I'd say I've gone back because things have been facilitated and made it nice nice and easy um I, I absolutely I'm ecstatic that I have my career to fall back on. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it's imperative. Okay, so last question for me then: What's next for you in your career? Rugby career, or well, either or, I guess. Okay, so rugby career. Um, I'm on the fence at the moment. So our season's just finished last week. I'm definitely going to take some downtime now and reflect on: Have I got another season in me? Um, my coaches and every everybody tells me I have another season in me, so I'll likely be back. I'd like to enjoy my last year, you know, re- really enjoy, savor the moments. We, we have phenomenal opportunities to to go out on a stadium and look around and see, you know, four or 5,000 people at a, just a fixture, which is unheard of. So definitely going to do that. In, in terms of academic career, um, you know, cont- continue as I'm doing, so... I've worked with a fantastic team in Portsmouth. We've got some really fantastic research going. And I'd say I'm probably setting myself up for retirement in terms of getting getting busy with lots of new things in the pipeline for when that happens. Um, yeah, and conti- continue the research. So I've, I've definitely had lots of discussions about potential rugby research, which is something I never considered. But it's probably a way of me staying involved in the girls and the club. So... You know, we do lots of health-related work and recently been doing some stuff in joint high mobility. So, so I poached the idea to our um, physiotherapist and they were pretty keen. So I imagine in the next two years, I'll probably publish something in Women's Premiership Rugby in the preparation for that. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I've been retiring for three years, so I'll either be still there at 40 or it'll be 12 months time, but we'll see how that goes. So Isaina, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you join me again next time for the next episode of the Participation and Performance Podcast. This episode was created, presented and produced by Dr. Dan Brown 
with production assistance from Tom Langston. The music used in this episode is Unity by Kevin McLeod. All copyright information can be found in the show notes. 